0: On our TV show called Bloom Today, I would wear a t-shirt the first 40 episodes that said ex-victim across the chest. And people were like, ex-victim? You should say like survivor or victor or some other word besides victim. And I said, why? Because if I'm ashamed to say that I was a victim, then I'm still attaching shame to something that I didn't choose. The worst sexual abuse in my story is from women. Um, Getting raped at five was just, oh, men hurt you too. So my worst trauma triggers related to sexual abuse are from the female sexual abuse because I was two to three years old. It was sustained over a period of time and it did the most core identity damage. And so the funny thing was because of all the male sexual abuse in my story, I actually would have been predisposed to run to women as the safer gender except
1: they were the worst perpetrators. Sex between a husband and wife should be, um, certainly should be passionate and fully enjoyed all of that. But I do think kind of coming back against this idea that nothing's off limits, even if it's not abusive, I think there are some things that have to be considered. Is this really edifying and glorifying to God? And is it edifying to the other person or to even to our own or to ourselves? One out of eight perpetrators,
0: I mean, eight victims becomes a perpetrator, uh, statistics. So, if you're a perpetrator in a relationship because you were a victim, if you don't go back and do the work on that, you're going to continue perpetrating. Apologizing a million times doesn't change that. And it's just acknowledging just because somebody was a victim and you feel for them doesn't mean that they're being a perpetrator is okay.
1: Hey friends, thank you so much for joining us for today's podcast for Love and Truth Network. I'm excited for you to meet a friend of mine, Paula Mosier she and i met actually at the acc conference about eight years ago nine years ago now and we exhibited here once before and of course today you're going to hear background noise you're going to hear some commotion going on because we actually are here again at the american association of christian counselors conference where i got to uh, reconnect with paula again and uh, asked her if she'd be willing to sit down and share some of her story with you she has a broad range of of ways in which god has met her in some a number of key core areas of brokenness where God has uh, met her and brought her to freedom, and we're going to be hearing about some of those today. So, Paula, thank you so much for joining us for today's podcast for Love and Truth Network. It's so great to have you here.
0: Thank you, Gary, and I'm excited. I do still also have the Wallace at the end of my name because I kept that for my kids' sake. Got it. So even though I no longer not uh, even though I'm no longer married yes. to Mister Wallace. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I go with Paula Moser Wallace because three Christian authors are named Paula Wallace.
1: Oh. And well, I'm the third
0: and you can't just be tripping on other people's brands right. and their names. So And you need a distinctive. So I'm Paula Mosier-Wallace. I'm like, no, it's not hyphenated. No, it's not my middle name. Well, it kind of is because it's my maiden name, but.
1: Yes, yes, absolutely. Well, and before we get into you sharing some of your story, and I know this could go on for hours of you sharing your story, right? But before we get into you sharing some of that, what uh, what ministry are you uh, overseeing and running right now? Well, I started the Bloom in the Dark
0: Ministry, Mm -hmm. which also now has a DBA doing business as Missionary Media got it but it is about getting stories out about damage in areas that are shame based yes meaning we usually don't talk about them those testimonies are not as common because people associate shame with them or heavy embarrassment yes but that area so in revelation says they overcame satan by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimonies we need the testimonies in the areas that in many cases are the hardest to overcome so true And the ones people talk about the least, especially Mm -hmm. in the church.
1: Yep. Yep.
0: And so bloom in the dark is about being able to use the fertilizer of your past.
1: Yes. To
0: bloom today. The
1: crap. The fertilizer. Yes. I
0: mean, I had to find a way to say that without swearing. Yeah so fertilizer works really right well. right
1: fertilizer yes <laughs> absolutely well and I, I i love what you're talking about there and again i know we usually do the story on the, fir- on the front end but mm-hmm. i'm kind of all over the place at times so the um i, I want to get to your story but one of the things you just mentioned there that i that i kind of want to key in on a little bit is you talk about shame which is it, mm-hmm. it's so incredible that we have christians who are really tackling that issue because, I, for example, I love the fact that we have more and more like 12-step recovery programs within the church and and ministries of healing and those kinds of things for people who have um, gotten involved in substance abuse, uh, whether it's alcohol or it's a chemical addiction of some kind. Uh, and and those used to be really difficult to kind of yes. own up to. and But now we're seeing much more that people are talking about those the church is actually more accepting meaning not accepting of the behavior but there's something there's a kind of stigma that comes with sexual sin or sexual or sex in general sexual brokenness that that somehow doesn't stick in the same way to other areas of brokenness and so definitely i mean as you know our ministry your ministry deals with sexual things yes um, I, that are significant to the church, equipping the church. And I, I love what you're talking about is the fact that it really is the shame that binds us into silence, binds us into yes. secrecy, and also binds us to repeat the behaviors over and over again, because right. we have to be willing to let somebody else in to our brokenness in order to really find healing. So.
0: Well, what's cool about shame is it says that it, that when Jesus was on the cross, he despised the shame. Yeah. It didn't say he didn't have it, didn't feel mm-hmm. it, didn't own it in that space because he took on all of our dysfunction yes but it doesn't list all the dysfunction mm-hmm. it, it lists shame
1: yep yep. As the
0: thing that he despised while naked on the cross like yes. it's kind of a kind of a thing that was not appropriate yep. right right um, and he was supposed to be a religious leader and, mm-hmm. and here they are stripping him of his clothes yes and putting him on the cross yeah and so for me i was like okay if jesus is despising the shame then why am i holding on to it yep And especially with childhood sexual abuse, Mm -hmm. um, as a child, you own all the damage anyway. You don't know how not to egocentric view, Mm -hmm. worldview at that developmental stage in the young childhood timeframes. You don't know how to see the world outside of yourself. Mm -hmm. So then you take on that as meaning you're intrinsically bad, broken, have no value, whatever Mm -hmm. that is. And then if the damage that's happening to you, you can't talk about, you can't ask for help. I mean, I got blamed when I was raped at five years old, practicing witch doctor, you know, warlock. Yeah. You know, just to make it a little more uh, interesting. Yeah. In a Christian cult commune in the jungles of South America. Mm. But when one of the top international female ministry leaders heard about it from my sister, she said, oh, well, she must have done something to want that. About a brutal rape at five years old.
1: Yeah. Crazy. There's
0: so much distortion in people's understanding it. The victim blaming and shaming is is doubling the trauma aspect right. of the damage and abuse anyway, re-traumatizing, mm-hmm. um, dumping intentional shame on top of the shame we already feel Yes, in it, all of that damage, any kind of um, mm-hmm. sexual damage, whether you caused it, wanted it, was done to you, whatever. And as part of changing how people saw that, on our TV show called Bloom Today, we wear, I would wear a t-shirt the first 40 episodes that said ex-victim across the chest. Mm-hmm. And people are like, ex-victim, you should say like survivor or victor or some other word besides victim. Yep. And I said, why? Because if I'm ashamed to say that I was a victim, then I'm still attaching shame to Mm. something that I didn't choose. Right. Right. Somebody with more power, authority or strength. Right. Use that Mm -hmm. to do somebody harm who was weaker. Yes. Who was incapable of succeeding in fighting back who, yes. who was there and i'm like so basically you're telling me that as a victim i should be ashamed of that mm. and i'm like i'm also an ex-wife and it just means i was a wife and now i'm not one yeah other people can associate shame with that and mm-hmm. say oh that you have a broken marriage you should be ashamed of that mm-hmm. um i don't put shame on that either i got out of a really bad um marriage that was destructive yes and so I
1: I think physically destructive even, right?
0: It, well, you know, getting hit with a belt when somebody's angry at you and you have huge welt on your leg, um, that might be considered a Yeah, yeah, violence, right. You know. But um the worst abuse was actually um he was a sadist. So pain turned him on, mm-hmm. which meant that I had a lot of sexual abuse in my marriage. Yeah. And people are like, well, that can't be real. Like you're supposed to have sex with your husband. And I'm like, yeah, except where you don't have a choice. Yeah. Where you are getting forced, where mm-hmm. it is in ways that are harmful to you and add shame and damage to you, yep. where it is meant to demean and destroy and cause damage and pain.
1: And assert control.
0: And assert control and dominance. And in this case, the pain is what turns somebody on and yep. they're inflicting it to that end. Yeah." Um, that is abusive. Absolutely. I don't care if you're married to them or not. Right. Um, so working through taking that shame out. And when I wear that t-shirt, I'll wear it out in public. Mm-hmm. People are like, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. ex-victim?" And I look at them really calmly and just say, it means been there, done that, got the t-shirt.
1: Right. You're <laughs> seeing gonna, it. Yeah. You know, like like right. literally y'all. Right.
0: That's all it means. I was there. I'm not there anymore. Yep. And I can help you. Mm-hmm. I can use my story to help you. I'm healed at a level I can do that. Yes. And in fact, that's the, the most redeeming aspect when it is sexual abuse, sexual dis- distortion, dysfunction, sexual identity issues, yep. all of these things. And actually, the worst sexual abuse in my story is from women.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, getting raped at five was just, oh, men hurt you too. So, my worst trauma triggers uh, related to sexual abuse are from the female. Mm. sexual abuse because i was two to three years old it was sustained over a period of time and it did the most core identity damage yeah and so the funny thing was because of all the male sexual abuse in my story i actually would have been predisposed to run to women right as the safer gender except they were the worst perpetrators yeah
1: yeah so where do you go at all right
0: i ended up not going to counseling Mm -hmm. until i went to a marriage counselor trying to fix the marriage where i was the victim and didn't know it I was so conditioned to damage. I had no idea. Yeah. And so that counselor, um, when I went and told him, my husband's cheating on me with my best friend again after five years of this. Yeah. I'm done. I'm getting out. I don't care. I've already renewed vows. I've already filed for divorce, taken it back. I'm going back and forth. I'm just not doing it anymore. And the counselor was like, well, you need to talk to a female about your, um, the abuse, childhood sexual abuse, male Mm -hmm. sexual abuse. And I was like, if I have to talk to a woman, I'm never coming back. I didn't know why. Yeah. Because I'd suppressed and and shoved down and ignored and just not written there. But it's in my story, it's just crazy that the thing that kept me from an alternate lifestyle was actually worse
1: abuse. Right, (laughs) right, right.
0: So I went to a male counselor for three and a half years to work through the male sexual abuse in my story, which included a um, workplace sexual abuse by both a male boss and a female boss to make it more um, bizarre. Wow. And that went through um, as a federal state and local lawsuit. It actually went through the EEOC mm-hmm. handled by a large law firm and um, hit the news when it went, you know, public mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And in that case, what was crazy about it was, again, who on earth gets sexually um, assaulted, attacked, worked Mm -hmm. through on these areas by both male and female. Yeah. Right. Right.
1: (laughs) Wow. That's so crazy. Yep.
0: So we, you know, in my story, I was like, I, I've got to learn to heal. I've got to change this because they're destructive cycles. And because I believed I deserved it, I thought it was my fault, Mm -hmm. whether it was the five-year-old version of it or the marital version of it or the workplace abuse version Mm -hmm. of it or the date rapes that turned into pregnancies that I lost, which then had a whole different level Mm. of shame. I was 40.
1: Like,
0: why'd you go out with a guy that ends up, you know, it's like all these things and me just understanding that if I didn't address what were the core things that were there, what was the root damage? What had it done to me spiritually, Mm -hmm. psychologically? What was it doing to me physically and medically all of these things, because they affect us on all levels. Yeah. And to heal, we have to work through the healing process on all levels, the Christian cult and the power dynamic and having a myopic worldview of just this hundred people in this commune and everybody else is dangerous and evil and hurtful and it distorts your thinking. Right. And then if you blame or accuse somebody in that space of doing something to you, it's automatically your fault. Yeah. There's nowhere to go to get away from it. You can't get away from your perpetrators. You know, like It's going to get covered up anyway. You know this because you've seen it covered up in other places. And we go into such distorted um, perspectives on things. It can take a lot of unraveling.
1: Absolutely. To unravel
0: where I'm in in today. Why these patterns keep happening. Mm -hmm. Why this distortion. Why I can't make sense of my own story. Mm -hmm. And I have to have help. I have to ask for help. Yep. And so Bloom in the Dark is based on the you're not alone and there's hope. Mm
1: -hmm. Because
0: if I'm alone, there's nobody to reach out to help for. Right. And if there's no hope, then why reach Mm -hmm. out for help? Mm -hmm. And so our Bloom in the Dark book is 30 stories that actually tell the stories from a raw, real perspective with hope at the end. Yeah. Including one about homosexuality Mm -hmm. that came out of a teenage church leader seducing her student. Yep. In that space and how God came into that and brought healing and restoration, and heterosexuality. Yeah. After ten years of homosexual and homosexual mm-hmm. marriage and all this thing, God brings that in. We tell all those stories. That one's not mine. Yeah. But six of them in the book are.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes.
0: Because I have a few a few things that um, I needed to share anonymously. Yeah. Right. But when I knew I wasn't alone. That gave me the hope I needed to go reach out for help. Absolutely. And so I think all of us need the testimonies and the true stories that tell us we're not alone. There is hope. God does heal. We have a way, and it may take a lot of work. It may take a lot of struggle, a lot of pain, a lot of hardship, a lot of determination. Mm -hmm. But- do I look, Gary, like somebody who has been through the stuff I've been through?
1: No, you. I've known you for a while. And uh, I mean, God has done a lot of healing. You obviously mm-hmm. have leaned into that and really cooperated with that process. So, I mean, it's amazing to me how traumatic, ritually traumatic, um, and systemically traumatic a, someone's story can be in multiple and varied ways. And yet, again, you would never know, not because the person is hiding it in shame like they used to because there's still there's still damage there that's you know there's still a lot that they're invested in covering and and hiding but when we are able to be free enough to where we can take the you know lift up the carpet and say okay here it is you know and 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 by the way there's not much dust under here because it's been cleaned up by jesus and by community Mm -hmm. and and over the course of time so i i love your story for a whole bunch of reasons but (laughs) those those are uh that's one of them one thing that you mentioned that i wanted to come back to In talking about um the the abuse that happened to you um by your Mm ex-husband and the the sexual abuse that happened there i mean it reminds me i've been in a variety of situations in conferences or particularly in church services where when you know on the rare occasions that sex is ever talked about and when um, when marriage is talked about in, and and sex is kind of connected to that, I have definitely have heard pastors say, and maybe our listeners, uh, those viewing us may have heard this as well, that basically whatever happens um, for a married couple, a husband and wife, within the context of marriage sexually, like nothing's off the table. And, and, and I know of situations long before I knew you where I'm like, wait a minute, nothing's, I, no, there's abuse that can happen sexually. Yes. That um, th- there needs to be Uh, a a uh, a mutual agreement of of participating in something that is that is joy filled and life giving not I mean lust can happen Mm -hmm. and and um, uh, a struggle for power a struggle for control Mm -hmm. Uh, all of that can happen in the context of marriage it's not just outside of marriage that that happens what are your thoughts about that a little bit more
0: well for instance they can do medical exams that show that somebody has been forcibly raped yeah Right, like right. it's actually specific damage and tearing that happens mm-hmm. in that context,
1: yep, right
0: wearing a wedding wedding ring
1: doesn't doesn't change, change that, yeah,
0: yep. right, so a lot of pieces um when if you consider due to your trauma in your past, you consider a certain sexual act to be traumatizing to you right, and because it's traumatizing to you, your intimate partner, husband, whatever wife, whatever yep um side of the marriage you're on, yep um. If they are demanding that specifically because it shames and demeans you and triggers you. That is abuse. Right. The act in and of itself in a healthy, jointly loving marriage may be fine. Mm -hmm. But when it is a destructive power dynamic misuse of control of um, even manipulation. In that space. And it is being done with the intent to do harm. Right. That is not a loving sexual act in a marriage.
1: Well, and that's clearly what you're describing is clearly abuse. But I would even step back and say, if if a person is... And you use the word manipulation and i think that could be what we're talking about here but if a person desires something in mm-hmm. a husband or a wife desires something sexually and for whatever reason it is triggering it does cause emotional mm-hmm. pain or even physical pain for the other and they know that and they're not forcing it but yet they're 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 always they're trying to, yeah they're manipulating mm-hmm. that it, it at, at best that is absolutely not acting in love no right i mean there's no way you could describe that as acting in
0: no love. and it's absolutely not and that is um when you think through it sometimes it's the timing of something sure in my case it would be when i had a fever and i was horribly sick yeah or it would be waking up to getting raped where mm-hmm. i wasn't even awake i didn't right. have a chance to have a choice right yeah my body wasn't prepared
1: mm-hmm. in yep. any way
0: shape or form yeah for that and that made it painful and destructive
1: mm-hmm.
0: right those things it isn't that the act itself was the problem right it was the timing or the situation related to mm-hmm. it it is somebody who is you know in in a psychological or or medical state mm-hmm. of damage and you come in and expect sexual um opportunities yeah. in that space it is destructive and mm-hmm. We look at it with, oh, well, people have needs. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what? The person who's sick has the need right to be safe right. to get better. Right. The person who has who wants to sleep and is asleep and wants a safe bed to sleep in right. at night. Yep. Deserves to have the right to sleep.
1: Yep. Right.
0: right. So when you take it and go, Oh, well, people have needs. Well, needs are on both sides. And there may be somebody that for whatever reason, and I don't necessarily condone this, but if both parties have agreed that they are both mutually choosing, wanting, equally desiring something sexual that's unusual, mm-hmm. let's say, I'm not going to step in and judge whether or not that fits any specific plan, because if it is mutual and it is agreed upon, it is mm-hmm. whatever, then there isn't an abuse component in it in that space.
1: Yep. Right. But then I would say um, to back up from there a little bit, mm-hmm. there's not a there's not an abuse component, but it's very possible that there's not a not as much a love component as there is a lust component. Oh, totally. So I think we have to look at that yes. as well, even where there's mutual agreement. Is this actually producing life and producing deeper connection right um or is it more of a kind of a, a ravenous lust-based behavior so um and and I, and also i'm not being prudish in the idea no. that, that um sex between a husband and wife should be um certainly c- should be passionate and fully enjoyed all of that but i do think kind of coming back against this idea that nothing's off limits, even if it's not abusive. I think there are some things that have to be considered. Is this really edifying and glorifying to God? And is it edifying to the other person or even to our own, to ourselves? And, And also the question then would be, like what? What could possibly be motivating my desire for this? Is the motivation something that flows out of brokenness from my past? Is it something of? Am I am I reenacting some kind of um, a type of abuse or a type of of um, uh, talking down to another person, even if they're open to do right. that? So there's a lot of things I think we can we can kind of consider there. But one thing also that comes to my mind as you're talking is I I believe that I've heard. The um uh, the passage uh where where Paul talks about um that a um a, a wife's a woman's body doesn't belong to your her body's anymore. Your body just yeah. not your own. Both directions, uh, right? Right. In yeah. both directions. However, that I use I think that that's been totally misused because when you when you overlay that with the passage that talks about a husband, husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself order. And, for her. Himself and for him. also wives you know, honor and respect your husbands. If you overlay that over top of my body doesn't belong to me, it belongs to Melissa, my wife, and vice versa, there's a safe there's a safe place for her body to belong to me my body to belong to her because it's couched in this i'm going to love her as christ loved the church or i'm I'm striving to love her in that way and she's striving to honor me if we're if we're acting in honor and love toward one another then it's not it's not a a fearful thing or a bad thing for that person to really for us to be one flesh you know well and
0: what's interesting is a lot of people go after those individual pieces of scripture yes it also says that marriage is representative of Christ in the church. Yes. Right. So when you turn it into a distorted power dynamic, yep. when you turn it into lust is the motivation, yes, when you turn it into any number of distorted things that the enemy wants to kill, steal, and destroy, right. he wants to distort, he wants to lie, cheat, mm-hmm. all the mess. Yep. Um, I just go, okay, do you really think that's how Christ wanted to represent himself with the church? Yes. Do you really think that that does? honor and glorify the fact that we are the human representation in marriage. It is meant to be the human representation of that relationship between our savior who literally died for us, the God who loved us so much Mm -hmm. that he gave us somebody who not the dominant savior that's going to come in and kidnap us and control us. And that's the savior God chose for us. He chose a savior that would come and serve us and wash our feet and gave
1: away Yeah, he was going to Mm -hmm. be the one
0: who said neither do i condemn you he was going to be willing to take on all of that damage for us Mm -hmm. and so when i put it in that kind of context and it also talks about unbelievers and believers being married if you can live peaceably
1: Mm -hmm. with yes
0: and there's a lot of places where there is no peaceably with Mm -hmm. because there's distorted power dynamics and lustful uh, motivations and there's ways the enemy is using the marriage to actually do harm to a child that is god's child mm-hmm. and god doesn't appreciate that
1: right there right. are
0: there are consequences here or in <laughs> in the future yes uh, about not honoring Yep. the creation and the child that god that jesus died yeah for. and your and, spouse is right. the person jesus died
1: for and I'm then like, literally yes <laughs> and then literally you're not only not only dealing with the two people the husband the wife but you're also dealing with the the, the children mm-hmm. you know that are often um fruit of that relationship and or relationship broken or not and right. and so the idea of staying in a relationship in a marriage that is abusive and really tearing down uh, the, the, the wife, in some cases, the husband, really um, uh, both physically, sexually, emotionally, whatever, abusive to that um, individual, the kids are also uh, the well, recipients teaching, of so much of that.
0: You're teaching the children right. that abuse is normal. Mm-hmm. You're teaching them to become perpetrators or victims. right. You're teaching them that a healthy family and lifestyle and marriage includes distorted power dynamics, Mm -hmm. includes people being allowed to cause other people pain. Other people need to just accept the damage and the pain and the shame that's getting dumped on them. Right. They should just live that way. And and it normalizes that in a way that is so destructive to the next generation. Yep. And I look at that. People ask me, well, isn't the marriage more important to keep together for the kid's sake? And there's a lot of Christian um, psychology out there. That pushes marriage as an idol. Yeah. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mm-hmm. soul, and mm-hmm. mind. Nothing else above mm-hmm. that. Yep. And when we put marriage as an idol above the person, mm-hmm. we put it above what Christ said mm-hmm. that he died for. Then we are opening the door for the enemy to bring in a ton of destructive dynamics into that for yep. in that relationship and to the children. And it, many yep. times to the people in the community around them, to mm-hmm. the people in the church around them, because it is representing Christ incorrectly and it is causing a destructive pattern yep. that is being normalized in a way. That's why you have al on dealing with the families of mm-hmm. alcoholics, because the damage just being in the same space, being a part right. of that relationship and in abuse dynamics, it is not more Christian or godly to keep tape- taking the abuse on an ongoing basis and acting like it's normal mm-hmm. so that your children are being trained that God condones yep. that.
1: Yep, yep. Well, and and just to be clear too, um, I mean, we haven't talked about this specifically, but the truth is I believe there is... There is way too much divorce going on. I Absolutely. think that you know, both societally, but also in the church, it is you know, divorce is being turned to for a solution for all kinds of things that that are not a good solution. No. I mean, it really it really reflects individual selfishness to not lean into their relationship with Jesus and work through things that are not abusive. Right. That you know, and and so you know ridiculous percentage of divorce going on but there are those cases where um where where divorce actually separation for sure to start with at least but divorce is often the necessary thing in these situations of abuse where someone will not just you know cry some crocodile tears to get back in the relationship to to repeat the same behavior but really embrace genuine repentance but Um, the other thing I wanted to spend some time with though, Paula is, is hearing more about your story in relationship to, um, really some of the, the cult dynamic that you lived in for a period of time. Can you kind of unpack that for us a little bit?
0: Well, the cult was, um, had communes all over the world. Um, there's actually a TV show, people's magazine investigates cults Mm. season two, episode five is the one I grew up in. Oh, wow. Okay. So it was, it was a thing and i was born in the commune in peru south america so i'm a peruvian and american citizen okay because of that but it was a very perfectionistic legali- legalistic um cult that was started in the 60s where communes were actually a trending yeah. thing at the time but these were survivalists there's more of that today Yes. again yes and it, if we didn't grow it raise it do whatever we didn't have it to eat yep um it was the government is evil. All aspects of the government are evil. Everything about media is evil. Everything yep. about the social system is evil. Get away from the world. And supposed to be based on acts where it talks about they had everything in common. Yeah. And they share everything. But what was actually training was this perfectionistic culture where physical abuse was a means to break children. Mm-hmm. So that you could then, you know, don't use the rod. Well, the Bible says to use the rod, mm-hmm. you can go into all those kinds of things. Yep. And they didn't specifically push sexual abuse or physical abuse or any of those things, but cult dynamics in general attract perpetrators and victims. Sure. Because victims are looking for structure and purpose. Yep. And perpetrators are looking for access and control. hmm. You give them any kind of structure where belonging is more important than any individual. Yeah. You end up with codependent enmeshment on a corporate level. Yep. And that automatically distorts an understanding of boundaries. I was never allowed to have a boundary. Mm-hmm. So if somebody wanted to take access to my body. I wasn't allowed to have a boundary. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't say no, I couldn't stop it. Adults were in, in charge of children. You had to obey every adult all the time, yeah. no matter what. So how do you not end up with physical abuse, sexual mm-hmm. abuse? Why, how do you not end up with these things? And then because they were anti the system, how do you hold them accountable? Right. Because they don't want the government coming in because that's going to be a big problem Mm because you don't know what they're going to find. And to keep the government away, then what do you do with perpetrators? Well, you send them to another commune and you don't tell them. Yeah. So then it's not a problem until more people are abused by that same perpetrator. Right. Or in some really extreme cases, or if it was a very important person who got abused or a daughter, you know, somebody of an important person. Then they got kicked off the farm, off the commune, Mm -hmm. which meant now they can go be perpetrators to the people who can be victims in the town nearby or wherever they got kicked off to.
1: That sounds like the church in many ways, you know, funneling people. Organized church
0: has done this denomination after denomination after denomination with spiritual leaders. This has happened in workplaces. Same thing with my workplace abuse situation. It was the owner of the company and the HR
1: manager. Okay. Yeah, that's. (laughs) So who do I go to right.
0: to get help? And I'm a single mom. They actually look for women who came from Christian backgrounds because shame would keep our mouth shut. Yep. We're childhood sexual abuse victims and single moms who had to have the money to feed their children. Mm. Yep. Were, I was probably number 30 mm-hmm. that fit that profile in this particular situation. Right. So when you come to corporate organized Um, control abuse when you actually have it be where the outside culture is now off limits because you're supposed to be more afraid of it. I still have panic attacks going to get my driver's license renewed. Right. I've healed from most of it and I have to have a lot of of other intense things going on for it to hit me that way. But for real, that kind of cult psychological damage, getting your psychology systematically destroyed. Then you end up in a marriage, somebody else from the cult who also got damaged, and then they become the perpetrator in your story. But he was the one who saved me from the cult. He got me out of the cult. So how could it be abuse, right? Mm -hmm. So when you have, and again, the warlock, the practicing witch doctor that raped me when I was five, it's the same kind of thing where if you don't want to acknowledge that there's kind of spiritual damage attached to that, and that person tried stuff with other other girls and mm-hmm. got reported and because it was a high level ministry person's child that reported it um they got banished
1: yeah
0: um which was great they didn't get to continue hurting me mm-hmm. after that but then i still got blamed for having been raped by the person
1: yeah <laughs> so was crazy five.
0: you know like when you have those kinds of things where there's no accountability where the value of the organization is more important than the person.
1: Yes. yes.
0: Whether that organization is marriage, by the right. way, or not. And I'm a huge proponent of marriage. Sure. I believe God designed healthy, beautiful marriage mm-hmm. to be the most amazing thing in the world. Mm-hmm. I'm very, very sad that I didn't get to experience that as part of my story. Right. But I absolutely strongly um, advise because God can heal anything. Mm-hmm. You can work through anything. But you have to actually do it. Yeah. A one-time repentance doesn't change patterns you've had for years and years. Right. If the abusing comes out of one out of eight perpetrators, I mean, eight victims becomes a perpetrator. Mm -hmm. That's statistics. So if you're a perpetrator in a relationship because you were a victim, if you don't go back and do the work on that, you're going to continue perpetrating. Right. Apologizing a million times doesn't change.
1: Yes. Can you repeat that statistic one more time? I want to make sure I got that right. One
0: out of every eight victims becomes a perpetrator. Got it. And there may be newer statistics since the last time I checked, but that was the the statistic at the time. And it's just acknowledging just because somebody was a victim and you feel for them doesn't mean that they're being a perpetrator is okay.
1: Right. Absolutely.
0: I married another victim Mm -hmm. who became a perpetrator Yeah. because they'll do it because if I'm hurting you, then then I'm not being the victim. Mm -hmm. And victimization and trauma are associated with being powerless and helpless. Mm -hmm. Right. So if I'm the one doing the harm... I'm not powerless or helpless and therefore I can't be the victim. Right. And that yes. is a psychology underlying a lot yeah. of perpetrators that come out of victimization.
1: Right. And that's that understanding comes more from um, a, an awareness of what's going on in a, in somebody at, at more of a subconscious level. Yeah. Not that every perpetrator is even thinking that at all. No. They wouldn't even want to think that. No. But it's it's this unconscious. It's intrinsic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, wow. Well, that's, and how did, um, when did you come to faith in Christ? I've always had faith in Christ. Mm-hmm. It was a Christian cult. Heavy, heavy duty, biblical. In fact, we
0: got punished, spiritual abuse, religious trauma. Yep. Um, we would get punished. I had to memorize all the scriptures about slothfulness and laziness in the whole Bible because I was five minutes late to milking goats.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. You know? like. Yep. <laughs>
0: When you can't eat till you've stated the chapters that you have to memorize. Yes. Because you have to do that before you can eat. Um, these things are dysfunctional.
1: Yeah. Right. But
0: I came away with knowing that humans were not safe because they all hurt you. hmm But believing the truth about God, even though the truth about him was being distorted in so many ways. Right. He made himself real to me, which is where I talk about relationship versus religion.
1: Mm-hmm. I've right. had a
0: relationship with God as long as I remember. I yep. don't know what time I didn't. Mm. He was my fantasy secret friend, mm-hmm. which children of extreme trauma do on a regular basis. Sure. But instead of having a fantasy thing, he was my fantasy. And he kept me in a place of relationship and healed things along the way in a variety of ways. And when I would ask him, God, why? Why am I getting hurt? You could have stopped this. You could have protected me. Right. Right. Traditional mm-hmm. victim questions. Sure. That are legit. Le- yeah. Um, his answer to me, and this isn't true for everybody, but for me, it was, it's part of your training. That was a thought that came immediately after every time I asked that question. Mm. And my response was always, I don't want whatever kind of train, whatever kind of job, takes right. this kind of training, right? Guess what I do with bloom in the dark. Yeah. The job that took that kind of training.
1: Right. Exactly.
0: And the fact is God never allowed any brokenness. He was not able or desiring to heal. He didn't cause the brokenness. The enemy does that. Yes. Very well by himself. Yep. It's a broken world. There's broken people. The damage happens. But what I find to be amazing in that space is the Christ that died on the cross for me, that took my pain, my shame, my brokenness on him in that space. That Christ wants to heal me. Mm -hmm. He wants to take care of me. He wants to protect me. If I let him, he will use every destructive thing the enemy has done. And use it to bring hope and healing and good in other people. Yes. And the cool thing was when we backtracked my story, exactly 40 years from the day when the abuse started when I was two years old. Yeah. Until the day that Bloom in the Dark became a 501c3 nonprofit. Yeah. February 26th, 1976 to February 26th, 2016. Wow. 40 years to the day. mm and biblically, that is a time frame of wilderness and training and whatever in the Bible. Sure. was like, okay, God wasn't lying to me. <laughs> right,
1: right, right.
0: And I do, if I had to choose it all over again, yep. I would choose the story I have to have the front row seat to the miraculous, to what God's done to yep. the most incredible healing that is possible for everybody. Yeah, yeah. Rather than yep. never have been through it.
1: Well, and it remind. I love what you're sharing and it reminds me. Of and, and people that are listening to us now, watching us now, I'm sure I've said this in other podcasts, but it reminds me of how much I mean how good God is, in that when I hated him, when I was furious that he allowed this stuff to happen to me that happened, the sexual abuse, the early sexualization, yes. the pornography exposure, and and then felt like for years, like, where are you, God? Why aren't you changing these desires? Where where are you? Right. Why aren't you showing up, etc.? And and I was so angry and he knew then um that we'd be having that, this conversation, that, we'd having this conversation <laughs> that you'd be leading your ministry that i'd be leading this yes. ministry and i couldn't lead this ministry like whenever i go out and i speak and i teach i have conversations with people like you i i um i i walk away from these experiences and think this is what i was created for yes. like this is this what i'm doing now in this generation for this point in time, with abuse that's happened, with um, LGBT and yes. sexual brokenness rampant in the church, I, I, in heterosexuality far more than LGBT yep. in the church, right? I mean, heterosexual brokenness is rampant, yes, huge. And and I look at that, and I think, oh my goodness, Lord God, I know again just what you said that He didn't lead me into sin, that He didn't, that I, I don't understand that there's a mystery to me around the the idea that god never wanted me to go and sin no. in the ways that i did and yet the way that he um is is weaving all of this together for good ultimately yes. the way he's weaving it all together to be used in this generation is just astounding to me that he can take that level of brokenness and that level of internalized hatred against yes. him it wasn't just a momentary thing like i felt this for months and even years at uh at a time toward him and and the, his mercy is so rich and so incredible that that he would bear with me through all of that knowing that he had an outcome in mind for me you know a good outcome in mind for me so he allows things
0: like jealousy and envy that made the brothers sell joseph into slavery right and the woman who didn't get what she wanted lustful right they got him in jail.
1: Potiphar's wife, yeah. On
0: top of it with Potiphar's wife. You mm-hmm. know, when you look at stories, he becomes a second in power for the world power at that time. Yeah. How else do you take somebody from a foreign nation to become second in power? Right. In a place at a time that saves literally the known world in that space. Yes. Through famine that was going to destroy everybody. Right. Because God allowed what the enemy did for evil. Mm-hmm jealousy envy selling your brother you know these are all really bad things
1: right right
0: but god knew that that evil was going to play out and he knew how he was going to bring salvation for so many yes and when joseph forgives his brothers he says that you intended it for evil but god intended it for good the saving of many lives
1: yep well and and that's it make, what
0: we get to do. And it makes
1: me think no wonder Satan's so pissed off all the time, frankly, <laughs> because every time he thinks he has God in checkmate or he has us in checkmate. Yes. You know, if if we if we agree with him and if we push against God and and, and won't repent, won't turn around. Then he does have us, yeah. But but with God, if we will allow God, if we will soften our hearts, if we will if we'll just open up the door a little bit to Him, it is amazing how He will take what just what you said, what the enemy meant for evil, what what Joseph talked about, and turn it around for great good. And that has to be so unbelievably. I love the fact that the enemy's intention for you, the enemy's intention for right. me, has has just you know been a punch in the teeth. Uh, to him in the way that he wanted to orchestrate <laughs> our lives. I mean, I would have been dead. I, there's mm-hmm. no doubt in yes, my mind me too. That, that I would have been dead had God not gotten a hold of my life. So anyway, for our listeners, what would you, is there anything on your heart right now as you're speaking or sharing that you just feel prompted to share with anybody who has a trauma background of a variety of whatever that might be uh, in terms of um, offering some hope, some encouragement, maybe a, a little bit of direction?
0: Yeah, for me... There were a couple things that helped me understand I was trained. God judged me. God hated me. God was uh, punishing me for everything. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a lot of that underlying abuse victim psychology. Sure. Um, and why we believe it must be our fault and we were the cause of it and whatever. And then we think we're crazy when we're operating in those cycles of dysfunction. Right. And we're the common denominator in all of our life's yeah. mess, right? Right. So there's all these lies and then I would read the Bible and it was all about judgment and people were getting killed and destroyed and it was all this stuff. And I got told that was all because we're all evil and God is going to wipe us all out kind of thing. And it wasn't until I realized that when you study the Hebrew background in the names of God and which part of the Godhead, God, the father, God, the son, or God, the Holy Spirit Mm -hmm. that it's talking about, that the person who meted out judgment in the old Testament in the Bible was Jesus. Mm. It says that he was the one that destroyed in these cases where timeout, evil is is taking over, and we're gonna stop it here. Do mm-hmm. a restart in yep. whatever way. Yep. Um, and then it says that he went to hell to set the captives free. Mm-hmm. He knew he was gonna die for our sins when he held us accountable. Yep. He knew he was gonna offer us salvation when he put the guidelines in place that held us accountable. It wasn't this father that wanted to destroy me, which when you already have daddy wounds, which most of us right. do. Right. That wasn't the God that brought judgment.
1: Mm-hmm. The part of
0: the Godhead that brought judgment was the part that died for us, mm-hmm. that took all of our same shame and damage and wounding that carried that for us. And suddenly I was like, oh, that's not an evil, destructive, you know, powerful, dominating perpetrator. Yeah that is somebody that's, listen, I love you so much. I'm going to stop your sin. I'm going to put consequences in the way to stop you in your sin Mm -hmm. because I love you so much. I want to restore you in this. So no, God doesn't want the pain or the damage or the brokenness in your life. He wants the beauty and the healing and the hope and the life. In fact, he paid the ultimate price for you to have that. And in relationship- He will bring that healing spiritually, psychologically, physically, medically. He can restore anything the enemy does. And I love that we get to go behind the gates of hell Mm -hmm. and find the ones of us, the lost sheep that are living behind the gates of hell because we've had that damage and the gates of hell can't stop us. We can go bring us back. And I also love that Jesus said that he would leave the 99 to go find the one lost Mm -hmm. sheep. And I thought I'm the only one called to go help find the one because I was the one. Yes. Right. Except he says, my sheep hear my voice and follow me. Which means that the 99, if they're his sheep, they hear his voice. He's leaving to find the one. Where should that 99 be?
1: Right. Go find him. to Find the one. Mm -hmm.
0: So we're all called. If we are the one, we're called to run to him so that he can heal and restore. And then we're called to help him find the other ones of us. Yes. That are broken and hurting and struggling and hopeless. And you and I get to do that every day.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> as we, we do, do ministry in these places of, of real brokenness. Yeah. And I love that we're not alone in the ministry either.
1: Yeah. And there's not exactly. enough of us. It's true.
0: We need millions of us. Yes. That are doing this. And I just challenge each person who feels that your story is hopeless, helpless, damaged beyond repair. God's got you. He loves you. He doesn't buy into all that mud that's Mm -hmm. covering you up. He knows the diamond he created inside. He will heal and restore it. And then he'll partner with you to help bring hope and healing to other people.
1: Yeah, I love that. And it really just emphasizes, I think, or underscores the reality that we're often talking about the fact that the church needs to become more of a teaching hospital model. Yes. We need people coming to church, not showing up to critique the sermon, to, uh, yes, pay attention to theology and the things are biblical, absolutely, but the worship is too loud. It's not a song I don't like. It's this or it's that. Rather, if we could come, Thinking about the night before scrubbing for the OR, if we could be thinking yes. about coming as nurses and doctors, uh, nurse practitioners coming and and having eyes for others that are hurting and wounded, and maybe the eyes, the, the ones that are the most wounded are the ones that have been in the church for 30 years or 20 yes. years or 10 years, as well as people coming in brand new. So anyway, Paula, thank you so much for coming and sharing your life with us, your, a little bit of your story with us. I know there's so much more that can be shared, but um, how can people get in touch with you and your ministry?
0: bloom great and that has access to our recovery strategies for life curriculum or you Mm -hmm. can go to rs the number four l rs4l.com to look at our trauma and addiction recovery awesome curriculum and we have tv shows you can find bloom today uh which was where we use the fertilizer of our past bloom today and you can google paula moser wallace chase me down, see what's out there. My story is out there in so many different places and ways where it just shows the scope of healing and restoration. Goggin, that's great. And we'll do
1: That's great. Well, and be sure when you're looking up, Paula, that you put in Paula Mosher Wallace so you don't wind up with one of those other Paula Wallace's out there somewhere. And so, it's
0: Mosher, M-O-S-H-E-R.
1: Okay. Just for clarity. Yes.
0: Otherwise, you might have our time. That's, no, that's great.
1: Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast for uh, Love and Truth Network. As you can tell, as we've been uh, visiting here, it's getting louder and louder around us. We have a lot of people here at our booth now and, and the booths around the area. So we're going to uh, jump off here And again, we thank you for joining us and welcome you to join us for another episode of The Future. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us for this Love & Truth Network podcast. To listen to or watch future episodes, please check us out at loveandtruthnetwork.com forward slash podcast. Also, you can subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And we look forward to seeing you in a future episode.